And some analysts will tell you that, you know, 75% of a CIO's time is spent on operations and only 25% of the time is on innovation. That's a reality that, you know, that is that our, our client CIOs are facing. What I would say to that is there is some good news, right? We have, you know, IBM GTS, you have opportunities now with cognitive technologies to help address some of these, you know, real issues and challenges operationally. Um, so I Welcome to another episode of Pioneers of Possible, the show that connects you with the futurists, leaders, dreamers, and builders who have reshaped what's possible in the worlds of business and technology. I'm Des Blanchfield, your host and fellow technologist. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined in the studio by Bridget Carlin. Hi, Bridget. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today in your busy schedule. I think it's the end of your day over there, isn't it? It is. It's uh, wrapping up toward the end of the day. You're the uh, CTO and VP of Global Technology Services and specifically focused on technology innovation and automation. Is that correct? That's correct. I uh, have the opportunity and the pleasure of working in uh, Global Technology Services and driving um, our cognitive transformation uh, with the IBM Services platform with Watson. Now, I understand you've been with IBM for about uh, six or seven months or so. How, how are you finding uh, the new home? I'm enjoying it uh, tremendously. I, uh, I will tell you that from the first day, uh, getting to know uh, my colleagues and the projects and, and the initiatives that we're working on and, and what this team is doing to help drive efficiencies for clients and value to, to the company, it's been really exciting. It's been very fast-paced. We have uh, one of the things that I, I'm thrilled about is the quality of the projects that we have, the caliber of our colleagues, some really talented people in the organization. Now, your role in general, so uh, if I was to paraphrase it, you're, uh, you're responsible for driving a range of things, but particularly corporate transformation, building and delivering IBM's global cognitive technology services platform. So we're seeing a lot of adoption of new technologies around DevOps and automation and how people deploy technology. And in many ways, we're seeing it uh, for uh, speed and efficiency and cost reduction. In other ways, we're seeing it as, as a case of removing uh, finger and, and human error. You know, how does this play into what your role currently does and, and, and what does it actually mean to be responsible for, for, I guess, the development and delivery of that, that whole service capability inside GTS? Well, so in GTS, what, what I think the, the team and the organization has embraced is that we're really at an extraordinary time in our industry when technology is, is being valued, not just for the problems it can solve, but for the new capabilities it enables. And what we've done here is we've, we've looked at the convergence of some of the key technologies like cloud and analytics and security. And what we've done is we've, we've looked at these technologies as they've helped us move from more of a systems integration model of the past to now today where we're more of a services integration model that is technology led. And what that means to GTS is that as we are uh, responsible for managing and uh, delivering IT services to our clients, we looked at how we could use sort of our own digital transformation to improve the way we deliver service and leverage some of the cognitive technologies that you're referring to. And so for example, we just recently launched the IBM services platform with Watson that enables us to not only help deliver 
of automation capabilities to the uh, infrastructure services, but to help our clients get better value around performance, security, compliance, things like that. So when it comes to my role, I have the opportunity to lead the team. We are focused on developing new capabilities, using and developing automation to infuse into these uh, infrastructure processes so that we can continue to improve our not only services delivery, but as I mentioned, right, to deliver some of these these special values to the clients. It, it sounds like it sounds like a dream job. I kind of almost want to send my CV and apply for it myself. <laughs> now, prior to IBM, you, you've had an amazing uh, career so far, and you were the managing director of uh, Internet of Things at Intel, uh, and then prior to that, the, the general manager of Intel's hybrid cloud business. So they seem to set you up very nicely uh, with regard to kind of what you're seeing at IBM now, where... The automation challenge um, surely must be a, a, a great, uh, I mean, a very broad um, remit in that, you know, people are coming to you for cloud services, big data, IoT. Where, where do you see the biggest uptake of technology in that space? Uh, where, where are the sorts of things or what types of things are you seeing the greatest demand for uh, as far as what GTS can offer and, and what your team delivers? Yeah, yeah. So so I think at this point, you know, one of the common themes that I've, I've always responded to is the notion of innovation. Where can we apply apply advanced technology to improve how we're working or deliver some new value or opportunity? And so just as as, uh, with my previous experience, coming forward to GTS, this is something that really attracted me to IBM. And in fact, I will tell you that, you know, one of the things that even through, you know, um, as I was, you know, getting to know the company, it was surprised a little bit to see how much innovation was really underway here in GTS. And it was something that, you know, candidly, I don't know that, you know, everybody would, you know, necessarily put IBM in your top three of innovative companies. They should, because what I began to learn and experience here is that innovation is alive and well. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why I took the job. I was impressed with the vision I was impressed with the thought leadership and specifically in GTS that you mentioned DevOps, you know, being able to not just use new technologies, but also change how we work. In the past, we, you know, we would go to three, four, six months to a new software release and you would have to sort of wait to get the new features or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and what happened here is that GTS was already on a path to figure out how to have an end-to-end framework that we could deliver new capabilities, infuse them with artificial intelligence so that they can be self-learning and self-healing, but also change the way we develop, right? And, and this is the, the great opportunity as CTO and running the development team is that we have changed our own practices of development so that in addition to using the advanced technology, we are able to deliver it in a more secure, more refined and, and structured process that, you know, and I say structured, but in, in, in the truth is we're, we're actually more agile. We're, we, are, we are using um, the principles of the agile methodology that allow us to design, build, test and deliver and deploy these new capabilities to our clients more, more quickly. And why does that matter? Well, the bottom line is it means that we get value to the clients as quickly as possible and that they can start getting the benefits of it. So, you know, in terms of the trajectory here, the innovation is very strong and it's an impressive group of people. And, you know, my excitement about this is to keep it going and let's get us to the next level. In many ways, what you're doing is enabling people to kind of get to their outcome. And a lot of times we forget that... uh 
technology for the sake of technology really isn't what it's about. It's about getting to know customers and clients and figuring out what their desired outcome is and how we get there to actually get that outcome and get some business value and, and see some you know, return on their investment on technology and people and, and so forth. I'll, I'll give you a yeah. great example. Not only has the innovation been strong, but it's been put out, it's been put to work, right? And, right. and our, I mentioned our IBM services platform with Watson. In addition to continuing to develop it, it we've, we've rolled it out to clients. And one of the great benefits of being in a role like this is your opportunity to meet and, and work with clients and get up close and personal as to, so how is this technology benefiting you? Making sure that we're, we're developing and delivering things that are addressing their needs and their requirements. And a great example is Cisco Food Service. Um, we've actually talked about them publicly, and I can share with you that I did have the opportunity to meet with uh, Wayne Schertz, the CTO of the Cisco Food Service, and it was really important to sort of hear his view of the IBM services platform with Watson and the value of the cognitive automation. And to give you an example, Cisco uh, food service company, they run 8,000 trucks uh, and deliver, make something like 150,000 deliveries a day, right? And so it means a lot to them to make sure their IT is working um, it, because downtime can have a rippling effect across their business. Many times what they have on their trucks that day are being served for lunch or for dinner, you know, that evening. So it really is important to, to make sure IT is working. Absolutely. And if you, if, uh, if, you hear, if you hear Wayne, right, you know, his value um, sort of come back to us was, gosh, you know, through the IBM's automation, um, GTS was able to, you know, help us reduce our critical issues by more than 89% which is a significant number. These were severity one issues. And, you know, they were able to increase their server uptime. Talking to someone, you know, such as myself, you know, as CTO, I'm thinking, excellent. I mean, this is, to your point, right, this is why we build all this, is to really solve problems. But the other terrific thing that Wayne mentioned is, in addition to these great IT outcomes, there was a terrific business outcome. They were able to increase their customer satisfaction and improve their supply chain performance. So now you start to see that the promise of technology isn't just about improving IT, which it does, but also now starts to have a terrific positive impact to the business. And yeah, I think that's, you know, that's an astounding uh, number, isn't it? It's 89%. I mean, we're effectively talking about 90%. Let's just roll it up 1% to give it context. 90% yeah, reduction. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's often, it's kind of like that, you know, buy it for $1.99, but really it's $2. But when you roll up 89%, 90% reduction, you know, nine-tenths of their pain gone. Uh, I can only imagine what that means to you on a day-to-day basis, just people turning up. I mean, you imagine working for the organization and, and, and nine out of 10 times something goes wrong. If you've been able to remove that pain, that, that the flow on impact on, on people's lives, on people just doing their jobs, not to mention the service and the quality of service they deliver must just be astounding. I can only, I can only imagine what, um, what was going through his head at the end of that. It's like, oh, thank goodness we got you guys on board. And I can imagine that's a repeatable process, right? Because the great thing about IBM is that everything you build, everything you design, everything you implement, you effectively productize it in many ways. So it's now something you could probably then repackage and offer to other clients in the same fashion. You just swap out the client. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And so what we're doing with the platform is we are creating these, um, in effect, these uh, technology building blocks, right? And whether they're automations to help improve, you know, uh, you know, help remediate incidents, um, help with, you know, IT compliance, um, 
help with uh, patching so that, you know, you don't have to worry, you know, is the right software on my server? We have a module that will just automatically make sure that, you know, before something expires, the patch is delivered in the right in the right window of time so as not to uh, cause any risk to the rest of the operation. So we have a number of these modules that, you know, frankly, a very robust automation portfolio that we're deploying across our uh, our clients' uh, IT environments. And, and the clients, just like Cisco Food Service, are starting to get the benefit of the efficiencies and the improvement in service quality. But in addition to that, one of the nice things um, that, you know, and, and I think one of the important values for uh, for GTS and what we're doing um, with the cognitive automation is that we're, we're really trying to ensure that as as clients, you know, are dealing with competitive pressures, you know, they're having to, you know, manage IT environments with multiple vendors and in some cases, multiple clouds, right? And so their pressure is to, you know, get the right workload in the right environment. And oh, by the way, please, you know, make sure you're taking out pause. And then yeah. on top of that, you know, are we making sure that the company is using all of their data, right? They're getting tons and tons of data. And are we putting that to work and getting the right insights out of that data. And then, you know, to your point earlier, you know, are, there's pressure to use AI. You know, are we using artificial intelligence to really propel company growth? And so we, in GTS, you know, and particularly with my team, we understand these pressures. And it's one of the reasons why um, we built out and launched our, our platform um, so that we had an open standards-based framework that both we could write to, but the clients can now consume and get access to the kinds of uh, uh, modules and technologies that will help them. Yeah, I think um, I paraphrased it once when I, I, I had the privilege of, of speaking to IBM Event recently, and we were talking about the types of, of things that people are having to deal with. And I came up with this phrase that I, I try to describe it with, that the rate of change that we're seeing across organizations in general, particularly enterprise, you know, the, whole, the whole digital disruption versus digital transformation and social media and smart assistants and chatbots and everyone wanting the Kardashian celebrity experience or a better user experience and you know, all the way through to digital currencies and, you know, hyperledgers or distributed ledgers and blockchains and mobile computing. And the list went on, you know, cloud computing, DevOps, microservices, big data analytics. And I said, you know, any one of these things is an exhausting undertaking. And that's before you get to the really deep stuff of, you know, the big data analytics, cognitive AI, deep learning, machine learning. Uh, if you come from the other side of the business and, and you've got process automation, robotic process automation, uh, some of the infrastructure, you know, smart cities, resilient cities, Internet of Things. Uh, from the security point of view, you've got you know the cyber resilience and data breaches, data leaks, insider threats. If you're on the, the top end of the business and you're chief risk officer or compliance officer, you've got governance and privacy and protection. Any one of these things is exhaustive in its own right. It's kind of like each one's a Y2K, and yet we're having to do them all at the same time. Most of these are new innovations, they're new things. So you can't really just go out in the street and randomly find somebody. You know, a database administrator is relatively straightforward to find. Uh, an expert in any one of these key bullet points is not. And so I think this is really where the, the, the capability that you bring to the market from your role personally, from your team, and certainly from IBM, is going to be an enabler for organizations who just want to get back to the food service delivery. They don't want to be experts in any of these key points. Now, I think, you know, I think it goes without saying you've got an amazing role there. I'd love to just kind of get inside some insights into you personally, if we can, just to pivot a little bit. 
We were talking earlier about the kinds of things that you uh, you do just to get out and, and shake off technology and get a, a breath of fresh air, if you'll pardon the pun. And you mentioned that you're into, uh, you've got a couple of fun hobbies. Um, the, primarily, you get outside and do a bit of hiking. Tell us a little bit about what you do just to get out there and, and get a break from work and uh, give yourself a bit of free time to think. So, yes, I mean, as much as we love technology, right, and we can sit 24-7 in front of a screen, I do find that um, I, I really crave the outdoors. And so um, I have um, uh, a regular routine of every weekend. Um, I usually find a, uh, a trail that I can hike. It's become, you know, over the years, just a, a favorite hobby, if you will. Um, and I recently moved to New York, and I am thoroughly enjoying the trails that are close by. Um, the Appalachian Trails are close. Uh, I Coming from Los Angeles, where it's typically hot and brown, and, and um, uh, it's one of those where to hear the rain and to see these gorgeous trees and, and these beautiful trails, um, I'm pretty much out there um, at least, uh, uh, if not every Saturday, um, every other Saturday, finding a trail and hiking. And it's just one of those things where you talk about being in the fresh air, but it just, it's just it's one of those things where being out with nature um, is one of those that just helps kind of uh, rejuvenate the soul, I find. Uh, absolutely. I, I have a routine of just taking our uh, hound dog for a walk around uh, an area we call Cremorne Point. I tend to leave the phone. I leave everything. I don't even take a, a, an audio player, an MP3 player. I just disconnect, grab the hound dog, get the leash, and we walk around and just walk through the the, uh, the streets and the uh, the parks on the water's edge of, of Sydney Harbour. And it's that moment of grounding where I kind of just, just let everything go, just breathe, soak up some sunshine, get some fresh air. And I imagine, I can only imagine the types of views and inspiration you get from that. And I suspect that probably sets you up for a perfect uh, start of the week going forward, cl- climbing different types of mountains. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it really does, because one of the nice things is that, you know, when you get out there and, and you're, you've got a particular hill or something, whatever, it's one of those where um, I love the challenge. I love the physical exertion, you know, just being out. And it's one of those things where I, I actually find them them sort of replenishing both sides of the brain, if you will. So, yeah, um, I really enjoy the outdoors quite a bit. Yeah, I think I think we we forget to just stop and breathe and uh, just get out and about. I one of my favorite tricks to do with people if I'm meeting up with them and I don't need technology is we just go and have a walking meeting, and you know we're we're spoiled as you are in your backyard around New York and the beautiful trails. We're spoiled in Sydney here and certainly Australia with some of the most amazing outdoors, and yet we go and sit in these glass towers. So often I'll meet with someone and say, "Hey, look, we'll grab a coffee and just go for a walk for 20 minutes." And at the end of it, they're just jazzed. They're like, oh, my God, I, c- I can't believe we just did that. That's fantastic. And then a month later, I'll hear that they've lost a couple of kilos, gotten fit, they've got a tan, and they found the outside doors again. <laughs> now, you mentioned something earlier on that I'd really love you to share this um, a little anecdote. It, it really inspired me. You mentioned that talking about climbing mountains, you took on an audacious challenge, I think you phrased it, uh, which kind of set you up for life and that you uh, decided one day after, uh, I think you mentioned you were watching somebody go for a run at lunchtime and you thought you might take that up and, and, and use an event for that. You ran the New York Marathon with just a couple of months uh, training. Uh, tell us tell us how you came to decide to do a marathon of all uh, things. Yeah, I have to say part of that was just sheer, I don't know if it was ignorance or what, but you know, I would see this colleague you know, come into work and she would uh, always have her running shoes. And, and uh, I thought, well, that's a great idea. She makes time to run. I thought that was really great. 
And then she tells me that she's going to be running the New York Marathon. I thought, oh, that sounds amazing. I'd love to do that. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, so I'd go ahead and send in my application. And, you know, I wasn't running at all. I mean, maybe I could do a mile, maybe a mile, right? And then I said, oh, you know, it's March and the marathon is in October. It's like, geez, I better get I better get out there training. And, you know, so I started, you know, like two miles, you know, <laughs> it was like, oh, my God. And then I'm looking at the calendar going, OK, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought. Anyway, make a long story short, um, spent the time and added the miles, you know, week after week after week. And I got as far as doing 20 miles at, a, at, a, at, at one shot. And I thought, OK, well, that's good enough. So get to get, you know, I take a red eye, right, because I'm working, you know, every day, every week, like everyone else, take a red eye from L.A. to New York figure out, oh, you know, how hard can it be? Um, then you're on the bus and you're going over to Stanton Island to the start of the race and you're hearing all these runners talk about how much training and how many years and how much mileage. And I'm thinking, this was not a good idea. Anyway, so we get there, but now now I'm now I'm committed, right? I got my number and, you know, so anyway, we start the race and we get going. And then all of a sudden I'm feeling very self-conscious and you see all the crowds come out and cheering you on. And I thought, God, I don't want to embarrass myself by stopping. So I just, I ran the entire race, even without stopping for water, just to make sure that I wouldn't, you know, theoretically disappoint somebody who saw me stop. Finished the race in all of four hours and 17 minutes. Wow. Um, but it was one of those things where it was a real moment for me in the sense of, I didn't really realize how much I was biting off at the time when I, you know, entered the race. But what was great is that, um, you know, it became evident that I just wanted to finish. I just didn't want to be one of those people that had to drop out for, an, you know, for whatever reason. So finished the race and as exhausted as I was getting back on the plane to come back home and get back to work. It was one of those moments where as I, you know, encounter a project or an initiative or some objective we have that we that seems insurmountable, I think back to, you know, what is physically very demanding and, and somewhat insurmountable that, you know, it really is amazing what you can do if you just, first of all, just focus, put your mind to it and commit. And even if, you know, evidence um, in the past, you know, to the contrary would show that you don't really have the qualifications to do that. But what I found is that it, I really draw on that as an example of, you know, just kind of to, to press on, push forward. Don't worry about what you don't know or what you didn't do before. Focus on what needs to be done and stay committed. And, and so I, I use it, you know, it's kind of a silly example, but I found that, you know, the achievement of just finishing, of just keeping, you know, literally one foot in front of the other um, has served me, you know, throughout my career to remember that moment that, yeah, you can do it. Just keep, keep looking ahead. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the Dory moment from uh, Nemo, isn't it? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's a, it's a perfect analogy for life that, you know, uh, I... Uh, having done a lot of running myself, I remember one of my best coaches, um, and I, I had a mountain meltdown one day, just uh, almost in tears, just saying, I don't think I can do it. This is killing me. Like, the pain is outrageous. And his advice was, don't run the marathon. Just run to the next pole. Get to the next lamp pole and the next one. Yeah. And so I did that. I started. And, and, it, and it, you're right. It sets you up perfect for life because you, 
you don't have to boil the ocean one go. If you just run to the next corner and the next corner and all of a sudden you know, you've run out of corners. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you mentioned that there was a, like an epiphany that sort of links to this nicely around um, early childhood where you've got a couple of siblings, I think you said they were older, and uh, straight out of students, yep. I think you mentioned them as so, and which of them they would be very proud to hear. <laughs> um, and it kind of, I suspect that set you up for this kind of challenge. Uh, give us some insight into kind of what that epiphany moment was that you mentioned. So where you, you look at your siblings and realize that uh, they might have set the bar high, I think you mentioned it was. Yeah, yeah no, that, yes, exactly. So um, I have an older brother um, who is a plastic surgeon and an older sister who's an ophthalmologist. And as a kid watching, you know, the two of them ahead of me, uh, and as you said, right, straight A students. I mean, they were always sort of the rock stars, right? And it wasn't so much a competitive thing as much as, oh my gosh, you know, these two are just constantly, you know, just doing great. And I kept thinking to myself, um, you know, I've got to, you know, what, what can I do to sort of maintain that level of achievement? And so I looked at them as terrific role models, um, which they are to this day. And, and I, it was just one of those moments where, you know, you have these great examples very nearby that you see that they, um, you know, as they, you know, continue to, you know, sort of achieve these great accomplishments. All I could think of is that, gosh, I need to do the best I can do with whatever I have. And that was yeah. a moment, I will tell you, that in watching them, you know, kind of excel and, and realizing, well, I'm not them. I'm sort of me. So I... You know, I'm not necessarily going to go into medicine, but what you begin to sort of relax with is that you have this role model of great achievement, but then you take a moment and you, you start to figure out, well, so what are, what are my strengths? What are the things that you can do? Yeah, yeah. And you start to, you know, shift and you, part of it is maturity, but, but the other part is um, being able to, you know, kind of tap into your passion and your strengths. And then again, looking ahead at, at my brother and sister and, and what they're, what they achieved. It was just one of those moments where you begin to, you, you start to um, kind of, I guess you set goals based on, you know, the proof and the examples of ahead of you. And so they were very influential to me early on into this day, as I said, right. To, to see the the commitment and just the continual you know um, progress that they they always set out and 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 they hit their goals and that was that was very impressive to me. Well, I think uh, it you know it's one of those things where when you look back on life and and as we get older uh, there are these these key moments. I mean, whether the your eager aha moments or whether just moments of inspiration that you can draw on that if you end up with a particularly tough day or. Uh, just a really, really tough review or something that just, you know, you get to the end of the day and you're like, why am I doing this? You can kind of look back at it. I'm, I, I think I mentioned that, you know, my brother had a moment like that with me where he said to me that, uh, you know, he was always frustrated by the fact that I just get technology. It just seems natural. And it was like, well, that's not the case at all. I spend hours and hours researching and working and studying and I feel like I do a degree every month. But uh, I said to him in return, as, as I'm sure you've done with your siblings, like, you know, I feel that he gets a bunch of stuff naturally as well. He can sight read music. I just don't get it. And it was interesting for him to turn around and have that kind of same moment. So I'm sure it's a similar experience where you look back and think, well, they've set the bar pretty high at that early stage in your life. But I suspect if you had that conversation with them, they probably sit there and go, we have no idea how you've done so well in technology. It, um, you mentioned also, just linking to that, um, just sort of early influences and, and, and particularly in your career, that your one of your early jobs going through college and then working in, in a bank as a teller, I think you said, set you up with this view around kind of what you're probably delivering now uh, in your, your role in your career, specifically around technology and having a use case for it. 
Um, I'd love to get some insight into kind of what that actually, what was, what that was, how did that work? When, when did you sort of look at that role uh, in, in youth and sort of say, you know, I think we need a use case for technology and what that, what does that mean? Yeah, right. So um, very, very much linked to, you know, my brother and sister rock stars as kids, right, and students. And and so as I was putting myself through school, you know, I'd always have the part-time jobs and one of them was in, in, in a bank. And, you know, in, in the younger years, right, what I began to see is that even as a teller, right, in, you know, the, the kind of the lower level banking job. But what was interesting is that I saw that as more technology that was being rolled out into the bank, the more our job was changing. And, right. I, you know, so early on, you know, you start to see that the role of technology is really changing how we work. And uh, certainly it's, you know, we, we, you know, we recognize that today. But, you know, when I was younger, I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. So so now um, technology, you know, is really the 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 um, the fundamental um, framework, if you will. And banking just became a use case. Right. And so I began to see the connection of how technology was truly transforming, you know, our not just, you know, how we work, but, all, you know, into our daily lives. And that is where, you know, I started, you know, kind of to fall in love with technology, if you will. And, and people talk about where they find their passion, um, whereas my brother and sister may have found it in medicine. You know, I just found it endlessly interesting to see, you know, as technology advanced, how it started to um, infiltrate, you know, sort of everything that we did, every experience, you know, we're starting now to have and how the role of technology is playing a bigger and bigger role. And and you mentioned early on, when you talk about all the different types of technologies from autonomous vehicles to the Internet of Things, 5G communications, cloud and so on, that, you know, we're starting to see this uh, this great convergence, right, as, as we mentioned earlier. And as it relates to to our lives, this is what I find to be not only you know um, uh, fascinating, but to, uh, uh, the the thrill and the enjoyment and the excitement of working in the industry, and um, and finding new ways to put it to work and and new opportunities that that are enabled by it. So yeah, that so going back to the days of you know part time work, right? It was you started it at a very you know up close and personal level. I began to make that connection, and that's where I found you know this is this is where I want to spend my time. Yeah, I think you know when you look at uh, all that amazing um, uh, life experience and, and journey, when it when it all comes into the role you're currently doing now. Uh, inside IBM and the types of things that you've got at your fingertips. I, I can only imagine uh, what it's like at turning up at work in the morning and just looking out the window or whatever the case may be or across the floor in the office and just realizing that, uh, you know, you, you can change things at such a fundamental level, such a, a rudimentary level across business and technology and people's lives and influence things. Uh, it, it, it must just <laughs> there must be days where your toes tingle and you just sort of think you know <laughs> how great is my life you know <laughs> I um I've got this fantastic <laughs> role now before we wrap up I'd love to to just quickly um uh, get some sort of view on you know we talked earlier about the the types of things that um are changing the world you know whether it's cognitive whether it's AI uh, you know the shift to as a service with everything in cloud and so forth if you were to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing if you were to just for a moment, step back and say, you know, like, um, not necessarily a prediction, but a general sense. What's your feel for what the next 12 to 18 months looks like? You know, what, what are your hopes or dreams or sort of, you know, as far as uh, crystal ball gazing goes? What's, what, what, what have we got to look forward to in the world, do you think, as far as um, where technology is taking us, uh, what it can do for us, how it makes life simpler and so forth? 
Sure. I mean, you know, listen, I, I think I think there's a there's a couple of uh, of areas, you know, from a business perspective, particularly with a GTS and, and, and driving the adoption of our IBM services platform with Watson and the cognitive technologies and how that's that's transforming uh, and helping clients, you know, digitize their business. Um, you know, I can see a future where, you know, we are we have now been so successful with the cognitive capabilities that clients won't have to worry about SLAs, right? Service level agreements. It'll be obsolete because their IT environment is always on. It's always healthy. And and we've figured out, you know, patterns to know when something may uh, be um, a fallout of policy or some vulnerability is exploited, we'd be able to um, remediate and remove root cause before it, in, it impacts the infrastructure. So I, I see, you know, from a business perspective, you know, we have a line of sight to that. We're, we're doing that with our technology and, and it's becoming even um, more effective. And then you pivot over to kind of going a little, you know, farther down the timeline um, is the future. You talked about Internet of Things and autonomous vehicles. I mean, there's a, there will be a time where, you know, by the time I go home tonight, you know, my smart refrigerator would have seen that I'm out of, you know, vegetables and that there's been a delivery at my door, um, potentially delivered by a drone that's given me the, you know, the groceries I need to go make the recipe that, that's waiting for me, you know, uh, for that night. Or you think about, you know, um, you know, some of our, you know, some of our elderly parents, right, that may be diabetic and that you don't have to worry about them taking their medicine because it's automatically dosed and they don't have to, you know, remember how much to take or when to take it. It's automatically, you know, triggered, you know, um, uh, intravenously, right? Um, and, then, and then we talk about autonomous vehicles. This is a very exciting time when, you know, autonomous vehicles are going to help improve safety. And I, I can look to a time where, you know, um, my car, you know, navigates me to work. I can participate in a video conference call while the car is driving me. It drops me, drops me off, it goes and parks, then it comes and picks me up to take me home at the end of the day, right? So I can see down the future that, you know, the role of technology will become more seamless, more integrated. It will um, offer us more conveniences, improve our safety, um, and improve our health. So I, I think the, the future of technology is very exciting. It astounds me some days when I step back and just sort of think when we look at what we take for granted now, we jump up in the morning, we grab our phone, we check the weather, we check the news, we dial into a podcast. There's just this endless stream in many ways of, of immersion uh, and, and we often forget that uh, this, you know, essentially Star Trek technology stack that we assume, you know, tricorders effectively became a thing and we call them smartphones. We haven't got Beam Me Up Scotty yet, but, you know, I can beam food to myself because I can just get somebody to go and pick it up at my favorite restaurant and deliver it, even if the restaurant doesn't do deliveries. Before we wrap up, is there a particular area or uh, an area of advice in particular um, that you generally give to CIOs uh, in the way they uh, should potentially face this whole wave of disruptions coming at them. What sorts of things do you share or what sort of uh, insights do you share with people at the CIO level when they're sort of initially engaging with you and sort of say, you know, we've got these massive waves of disruption, massive challenges. Is there a, a particular piece of advice you give to them? You know, is it a case like, you know, just breathe, it'll be okay? Or is it a case of, you know, <laughs> we've got a team that can come and rescue? Um, what does that look like in the in the early cases before we wrap up? Just as, you know, the key takeaway for someone listening to, to this and the sort of thing, you know, 
know, that's great. But, uh, you know, how, how does it help me? Well, I think I think there's good news for CIOs. I, I, I really do. I think that, um, yes, there are challenges. Um, and some analysts will tell you that, you know, 75 percent of a CIO's time is spent on operations and only 25 percent of the time is on innovation. That's a reality that, you know, that is that our, our client CIOs are facing. What I would say to that is there is some good news, right? We have, you know, IBM GTS, you have opportunities now with cognitive technologies to help address some of these, you know, real issues and challenges operationally. Um, so I think that there are choices and, and there is evidence that as we move to a technology-led model, you know, leveraging autonomic systems that are data-driven and being able to use, you know, software-defined uh, technologies, you know, there are real values uh, and operational improvements that are being delivered now with, with uh, implementing this technology. So I think it's very good news. But if you truly want to be disruptive, you, you've got to look in new areas. And, and I would say that, you know, partnering with companies like IBM is, I think, really important. You have trusted advisors. You have people here at IBM that have deep capabilities and, and evidence of, of innovation. Extending your network and, and using relationships, you know, you know, if I'm a CIO, you know, th this is the place you want to be, co-creating and collaborating Definitely. And I, I think the key thing, a couple of things I just lifted out of that is that, you know, the, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing three or more times uh, in a row and expect a different outcome. And, and you paraphrase that very nicely by saying that they need to start thinking outside of the box. Uh, and, and also that, uh, you know, you don't necessarily need to be the smartest person in the room. You just need to be hiring the smartest people or, or engaging the smartest business partners. And I think that really... Uh, uh, brings us to a perfect point to close up on that, uh, you know, if they're going to look for innovation, they're going to look for a key driver to get them through that disruption and to get those outcomes. Uh, there's no better place than reaching out to uh, Bridget Carlin at uh, IBM. So, Bridget, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic to know more about you personally and to get to know about your role. And uh, I look forward to uh, watching closely uh, some of the amazing things that you drive through the team at IBM and, uh, and one day hopefully meeting up in person. Thank you so much. This is a terrific opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.